I, I'm going to be honest with you and up front, I am horrible at topical sermons. They, I was talking to Rebecca about this earlier, like, I was not trained in this way, uh, and also my mind does not work in this way. Um, so I'm going to try my very best. I spent far too long in the sermon than I anticipated. Usually I'm about three to four hours. This is about five to six hours. Um, just because with topical stuff, I was always trained that you never study a topic and then try to make scripture back it up and then try to, you know, find verses that make you feel good. Pretty much Facebook meme verses. That's, I was taught never to do that. Um, however, that doesn't mean that there isn't something good with practical theology. At the end of the day, what does it matter if I'm just an armchair theologian that tells you what I think if it doesn't apply to your everyday life? Um, so something I've learned from Rebecca and even just talking to her for a little bit inside uh, of the Bible study and stuff um, is just continue reading as I'm reading, thinking to myself, how does this practically apply? So in my life, you can go to that first one if you don't mind, Micah, uh, something I've been working on and I still, to put it bluntly, suck at is uh, setting healthy boundaries, uh, and Christ does this. And so I titled this God's Rhythms of Grace. Uh, and so much of this, before I even begin, much of this is from a site called soulshepherd.org, and is based off of a book that I got in college that I really like, but it's called Your Best Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke um, by Bill Galtier. And uh, it's a book I read in college that was pretty much saying that if you're going to go into ministry, if you're going to go into leadership, you need to be prepared to be burnt out. And how do you prepare yourself for burnout is you don't burn out. Essentially, prepare yourself to set up appropriate boundaries so that doesn't happen. Uh, and so it sounds great, right? Logically, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I should do this, not do this. But that's not how I uh, always end up doing things. So this is both a sermon that uh, is about practical theology, is one to myself um, that I still don't have down. I still don't have mastered. Um, but there's this really cool guy named Jesus who kind of set this example for us of what this looks like. Uh, and I'm going to go through that. And I will apologize. I, I struggle with uh, sometimes cramming too much information on one slide. But part of that's how my mind works. So as so I was talking to Mike, it's about like a 60-40, mostly 60 on my part, 40% on your part. So I'm trying, but uh, it helps me with my flow of thought. So going to the first um, slide that we got is why are boundaries important? Uh, and one of the reasons why it's important is I have it as this is you, me. It promotes what we value what we're good at, what we believe, what we need, and what we feel. It both demonstrates the need for Christ whilst conveying we are not each other's personal saviors. Um, the better your boundaries of self-awareness and self-definition are, the greater your capacity to offer empathy and love to others. Good boundaries help us care for others because we have a stable foundation to operate from and are not distracted or depleted by personal insecurities or blind spots. And especially as leaders, um, we need to be loved and respected just as much as anyone else. If not, Chris and I, any of you that are leaders, I mean, to some degree, we will be leading in some area of our life. Um, but if not, we will burn out because we will be emotionally depleted and ineffective at helping others. And so we have these boundaries to convey our virtues, what we live by, um, to self-reflect so we can grow and have the capacity to grow those around us, and to humbly convey or display the needs for Christ just as much as everybody else, so it's really important that when we're setting these boundaries, A, it shows what we, when I have what we promote, this is, this is you or this is me. The idea, are you promoting Christ in these boundaries? It's not just boundaries for the sake of being selfish. selfish. It's not just boundaries for the sake of, uh, I need my own personal space. It's taking time to say, what is it that you abide by? What is it that you're taking your time to, to reflect on to say, this is how you better spend your time? I mean, I've talked to many of you here, but like time is a currency. It's one of the few things that we have control over, that we can spend. 
And if you're taking the time to set up appropriate boundaries when you go to do what you do, whether it be your job, whether it be your family, whether it be school, you're actually doing that to the best of your ability because you're taking the time to reflect how can I apply this better. And in doing so, it allows us to have empathy and love for others that's coming from Christ and not just from our own emotional feelings or from our own place of how we feel good or what we have to give. Because the problem that can come with that is that if it's coming from how you feel, if it's coming from, and this is what I suffer with, if it's coming from what I hope in other people's, eventually that's going to run out. And what's going to run out on that is that it's going to start turning into anger and bitterness and frustration as opposed to giving that grace that abounds from Christ. And so by having these healthy boundaries, by setting moments to spend with God, it's enabling you to have the ability to see in every situation, is this glorifying to God? Does this person have the ears to hear what God's trying to say? Is this someone I should spend my time with? There's many a times that Christ walked past people. He kept, this is God. He walked past people. He knew who had the ears to hear. And there's also a reason why he had a small group of people that he really dedicated his time with. And even with those people, they still didn't get it. But while they didn't get it, he still took time to reflect and to pray and to spend time with the Father or himself, you know, to rest and to find peace and set up healthy boundaries. You can go to the next one, Michael. And so the problems we sometimes face in setting boundaries is that we sometimes are more often uh, readily drawn into rescuing other people without realizing and maybe enabling selfish or irresponsible behaviors in the people we are trying to help. We can get so immersed with people we care for, trying to continually please them in the fear of upsetting them, that we end up losing ourselves. We often feel like we have to say yes to what people felt they needed from us. We fear people are being upset with us or disappointed in us, feeling selfish to say no uh, to people's problems, and in doing so, we are giving out an emptiness and lacking the fullness of the grace of God that can abound in us. So um, some of the problems lack, that lacking boundaries can set is an unhealthy boundary and how we display Christ to others. And it puts the problems and hurts of others on ourselves instead of Christ. Inadvertently, we may be enabling those we are trying to help to think that it is okay for them to place all their problems on us instead of Christ. And so many times we feel as Christians that like, oh, we have to help this person. That's, if you're going to err in one way, I hope you err in that way to help those, to be merciful. But in some, uh, for most instances, we need to reflect and ask ourselves, is this really the will of God? Are we trying to save people? Are we trying to, are we actively pushing people to Christ? Or are we just bringing them on to ourselves? Are we taking on the responsibilities of Christ? Are we taking on the identity of Christ? And in doing so, not helping them figure out that there's more than Jake. There's more than Chris, there's more than Rebecca, there's more than these leaders that are in our church. It's something that trans us that we also need too as leaders. And that um, we may be uh, so worried about upsetting them or frustrating them that we end up losing ourselves. So it, there's a twofold problem that happens here. One, they're not getting shown Christ. And two, we're walking away from Christ. And we're becoming so focused on ourselves where it's kind of almost even like the Pharisees to some degree where we're saying this is my idea of what Jesus is, this is my idea of what Christ calls me to do. Uh, and we're valuing that more than submitting it and surrendering it over to the Christ. And in doing so, both people are losing. There's not relationship that's gained. And we're not taking the time to reflect to get to know Christ. It's harming everybody. So having these healthy boundaries are good. And these are some of the problems we can face with. And I think it comes from a good, sincere heart of wanting to help people. At least I hope that's where it's coming from. That it's not coming from, like, look how great I am. But genuinely caring about people. But recognizing that place of care that's in us it comes first from God. And whether that be your wife, whether that be your best friend, whether it be your child, that all needs to be surrendered to God first. And I'll explain more on that later why that is so important. You can go to the next one. 
So this is the first of a whole bunch of uh, words on the slide. Um, but uh, it, there, there's a reason. Uh, these are kind of the uh, setting boundaries like Christ. So what does it look like um, to set boundaries as Christ would? And so this first one is called personal limitations. So this is kind of focusing on the humanity of Christ, how Christ set these personal limitations. Um, he cared about meeting his personal needs. And I wanted to go more specific into that. It wasn't personal needs in the sense of he wasn't like, all right, this time I'm playing Destiny, you know, with all my friends. We're raiding and stuff like that. Uh, though I can guarantee Jesus would not have been a warlock because that's the worst class in the game. But anyways, his personal needs were that uh, he ate healthy foods. He got the sleep he needed and even took naps. I'm good at the nap part. The whole sleep thing, though, I'm horrible at. Um, uh, he took the time to relax, and he did a lot of walking. And some scriptural references for this is Matthew 26, 18 and 20, Mark 1, 16, 3, 23, 4, 38, Luke 7, 36, and John 10, 40 and 12, 2. So these are all examples of how Christ spent time eating healthy foods. He spent time resting or napping, relaxing, or relaxing, removing himself to reflect, um, or even just walking, spending time just walking in, in nature. I mean, I, for myself even, as much as like I love staying inside in a dark room with a bright lit screen, there's something about being outside in nature and just spending time and just hearing things and having that quiet. Although it's very hard because st you still hear some semi go bad some, somewhere, but like having that peace and that tranquility, there's something about that. And I think it's neat that Christ, the, the author, the creator of all things, he did this too. He walked, and he spent time enjoying his creation, and we are a part of that. So as we're walking, and even that we're going through downtown Canton, and you know, I think of even PA when I spend time up there sometimes, yeah, there's some disturbing things you'll see, but do we still see the grace of God happening around us in our walks? Do we still see the goodness um, that Christ has done? Do we still see people as people and image bearers of Christ? Or, or are we always so focused on the chaos around us and what's disgusting? Christ also spent time receiving support from friends. He sought the company of friends. He also spent time enjoying solitude. He withdrew from the crowds um, to go away and retreat alone and sometimes with friends that both and. Sometimes it was by himself, other times it was with other people. Um, there, this is a big one that I, I kind of, when I reflected on, kind of really hit me hard, is that there was an unhurried pace of life. He was never in a hurry except to go to Jerusalem to embrace, him, to embrace the cross. So really the only time he rushed or he pushed or he was moving towards something in a faster pace was towards his death on our behalf. Apart from that, there's this very unhurried life, this patient life, this surrender to himself, to the Father. Uh, and I think of ourselves, like, oftentimes we think that the, the, the faster the pace of our life, the more that's getting done, when that may not be God's will. That may not be walking with God. That may be us rationalizing, like, okay, this can glorify God, so therefore it is good, but is it really being surrendered? Are we finding peace in the little things of life? Are we finding the time to reflect and say, this is what I can offer, or more importantly, this is what God is calling me to offer, not what I want God for me to offer? And then the last thing in terms of his personal human um, boundaries that he said are limitations is that abandoning all outcomes to God. Jesus was tempted to become paralyzed with fear about the cross. Satan and his demons, along with many people who hated him, were trying to kill him. Would he make it to the cross to die for us, to be lifted up publicly um, so as to draw people to God? He let it go, though. He chose not to force things but to trust the Father's will. He abandoned to the Father the outcomes of his sufferings and trials to come, as he always did. And so are we making sure that our physical needs are met, that we are surrounding ourselves with healthy people as much as sick people? 
making time for solitude, enjoying life as is just as much as what is to come? Are we being patient and waiting on God and letting go or surrendering all things over to Christ? If no, then why not? For me, at least, when I, when I was thinking about how does this apply to me and why, why am I bad at this? And not that everything that God calls us to do are you bad at. Um, this is one of the areas that I suffer and that I'm trying to be transformed. And so when I say that I'm bad at it, it's not that I'm saying, oh, like, God it hates me and I'm so depraved or anything like that. No, it's, it's an area that I can work on. It's an area that I need to learn to be more like Christ. And it's an area that when I suffer, I, I see that it causes other people to suffer too. And the reason being is because it's all about me. It's focused on me as opposed to me taking time to surrender it over to Christ, taking time to say, what is my boundary that I'm setting that, so Christ can walk with me instead of like, here's my life and Jesus is how you work inside of it. It needs to be opposite. of saying, Christ, here's my life. Do what you will with it. And these are the things that are within it. And so um, for me, it's been, it's largely fear or the fear of failure. The hope I see in others diminish if I'm not there. Um, or the lack of faith, arguably, that God inevitably loves and desires peace, rest, and hope in these people that I encounter more so than in myself. This aspect of surrender is that, you know, it's really hard for me to be down at the oracle and stuff like that. And to see so many people take such great steps, you know, and I'm just like, man, I'm so proud of them. Like, they, they, they're, you know, not drinking as much. You know, maybe they got a better job. Maybe they're actually being a dad to their family. You know, that's so encouraging to see. And then, you know, like, a couple months later, something happens. And it's not on me. That's not my problem to fix. But so often I try to do that. So often I feel like it's my responsibility. As opposed to my first response should be, God, how are you taking care of them? Am I called to be a part of their life? Or maybe I was just supposed to be there for that first part. And somebody with a greater knowledge, someone with a better understanding can guide them. And more importantly, do they want to be helped? And I'll continue on with that concept, too, is this idea of that as much as we're helping people, there needs to be the desire within themselves to get that help. And Christ demonstrates this. Go to the next one. And so another big important thing for me, um, which I think applies to a lot of us as well, is that Jesus also said no to inappropriate behavior. So often, I think, in ministry or anything in life, we're just so prone to say yes, you know, right? That if someone's hungry, that yes, I have to give them something to eat. And I think it's important that we do, but yes is not always the answer. If somebody is suffering through addiction, so therefore I have to help them, I have to take them to my house and stuff, like that's good that you would want to do that, but it may not always be a yes. And so Christ also said no at times. And so one of the examples he said no to were demands. He withdrew from the, crowd, from the crowds who wanted him, for one-on-one -on -one time with the father. Um, abuse. He fought his way through the crowd that was trying to throw him off a cliff for claiming to be the Messiah. Entitlement. He didn't give in to his mother and brothers, and brothers who tried to use their relationship with him to pull him away from the crowd he was ministering to. Baiting questions. When the religious leaders asked him baiting questions to make him look foolish, he answered with incisive questions of his own. Cynicism. He said no to Herod's, Herod's mocking. Show us the sign that you are the son of God. Manipulation. He said no to Peter and the disciples who had an inappropriate agenda for Jesus to a political king or military warrior rather than the sacrificial lamb. And that one was a really interesting one to me is that like even within his inner circle, even within his inner group, he still said no. The people he loved the most, the people he was closest to, his mother and his brothers and, and that inner circle, he still said no to at times. And then pride was another thing he said no to. He didn't heal those who were too proud to trust him to him. And so Christ surrendered his humanity to, in, to his divinity as well as his divinity for us. 
and didn't allow abuse to prevail. He didn't put his relationship with others above his relationship with himself or God. He took the time to be educated, to convey, and to rebuke with truth. He remained humble in times where he easily could have shown off. And he took the time to know himself as well as others well enough to know how to spend his time. So my question for us is, what if our wives, jobs, friends, children were surrendered to Christ over our insecurities, fears, and personal desires? And for me, I I forget who I was talking to this week, but we were talking about some quotes that drive us nuts. And two of the quotes that drive me nuts are, happy wife, happy life, and uh, boys will be boys. Those are two quotes that really bother me. And I think this, uh, this applies to this inappropriate behavior. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they say some of these quotes, they don't mean it with a bad intention. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, when I've encountered it, and I'm not just trying to overgeneralize, even though I am generalizing here, but a lot of times when I encounter it, it's coming out of a selfish ambition. It's coming out of a, a selfish desire, the whole happy wife, happy life. It has very little to do with making your wife happy, but more along the lines of, like, if I just get them to be happy, they'll leave me alone and I can do what I want. It has no desire to really better their, their wife. If anything, they're saying, be my mother, take care of me, and I'm just going to shut up and do whatever you want. That's not healthy. That's not equally yoked at all. That's demanding that your wife does everything and that whatever she wants goes by. But what if she's doing isn't glorifying God? How are you helping her become a better person? But instead, you're just using this excuse to selfishly just make time for yourself. And the whole boys will be boys, I think that's a pretty easy one, like, To what point do boys start becoming men? To what point do we stop making excuses that this is how boys can act and start holding them to a standard? So often culturally we do that to women. You know, this is how you got to dress. You know, this is how you have to act. These are the things you have to talk about. I mean, it's a prime example. You can go into any video game chat, any forum, and why is it men can talk inappropriately or sexually, but women can't? I'm not saying that excuses that behavior or that's okay that we talk that way. But my question is, we hold these standards for women, and we hold these standards for young girls and saying that they have to be acting like women, but yet boys can just be boys. We as a church and we as a culture need to start holding them to being men. And so we need to say no to inappropriate behaviors. And those are just two things that kind of came to mind that are quotes that just drive me nuts. I thought that, you know, those are very easy things that we can say no to and that we can set a better example of as the church. You go next one, Micah. And so Jesus also spoke truth and love. And so this one I thought was a more important slide. So I, I, I made it smaller, you know, in terms of the content on it. So uh, exploitation. This is one of the things he spoke truth and love about. He used a whiff to clear out the temple of vendors and money charger, or changers who were taking advantage of the poor and turning God's house into a marketplace. Addiction. And this is kind of one that, um, as I really reflected on this passage that Rebecca kind of, you know, pointed to in her sermon. I said, it's not just drug abuse. But he told the rich young ruler that he couldn't help him until he gave away the money that was controlling him. Money can be an addictive thing. You know, we were just talking a little bit ago, Zach is really into, was it neuroeconomics? Uh, and it's a really cool concept of, like, why we spend what we do, why we get, like, dopamine from the expectation of spending money. And so much like this rich young ruler, to get, go to Christ and to pursue Christ, that has to be given up. That addiction to what we desire has to be given up and surrendered to him before he can even begin the move in us. But another thing is he spoke truth and love about is misguidedness. He rebuked the disciples who tried to keep the little children away from him and told them that they need to emulate the children's faith. And so these are examples that, you know, some of them are 
people that he kind of just came across. Other ones were people that were part of the religious group that he would have been affiliated with. And other ones were people very close to him. And he still spoke truth into their lives. And in doing that, it wasn't him being a jerk or saying, you know, hateful, mean things. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, there's a correction that came about this. And so this was really important that we're taking this time to reflect to set up these boundaries so we can be educated enough to have a response in situations like this, to have a response when we were in downtown Canton and we see somebody making fun of the poor person or, you know, somebody throwing food at a homeless person, that we have a response that says no to that and we act actively take action against that. I don't think, you know, you need to go around and grab the closest rope or whip and start chasing them around, but there is something about a physical action that needs to happen. Uh, same thing with the rich young ruler. You know, like so often we look at the, the scum of society as being the poor or being the people that are addicts and things like that, when oftentimes it applies to everybody. To some degree, we all have some filthiness in us. We, we all have a need for Christ, but why is it certain sins are looked down upon? Not even sins, just life that's looked down upon and is cast aside. We've done this throughout all of history, too. You know, it pains me to say that so much of, like, slavery and racism really had little to do with people and more with economy and money. Like, and we still do that. Why are we so upset about Kaepernick and people like that, you know, having a Nike slogan, but we were completely okay with child labor? We didn't throw a fit about that. We weren't burning our Nikes for that. You know, like, we really need to, if we're going to have these expectations, if we're going to hold these ethics, if we're going to be the church, we need to take active steps, and not just when it affects us, but when we see it affecting those around us. And even the people that are closest to us that are being misguided, and even for ourselves, do we have the ears to see or to hear when we are being misguided? To having the humility to receive that. I was actually reading an interesting um, sermon on when Peter puts on his cloak and he jumps into the water. And so a lot of scholars are saying, you know, fisherman undergarments, he was throwing it on. But I read a really interesting point that a guy was saying that Peter may have thought that he was going to walk on the water this time. And so he was throwing it all on, expecting to walk in the water, and this time he just clumped right in. You know, just plunk, you know, but this idea that it was him taking a step by faith this time, and he went into the water. Does that mean he was not following God just because it wasn't miraculous? No, not at all. So often we only pursue God when we get what we expect from him. But sometimes it's him saying, do you trust me to go this? Do you trust to be drenched and to have things not go in your favor on my behalf? So that way, maybe in another instance, you will walk on the water with me. But it's not about the outcome or how we look or how we're perceived, but it's pursuing Christ wholly and jumping in fully. You go to the next one, Michael. And then Jesus had ex expectations for people in need. And this was kind of to my previous point um, about people need to desire that help for themselves just as much as we, we may want to give it to them. And so one of the ways that he did this is he asked, what do you want? Two blind men called out for him to help from, Jericho, from the road of Jericho. And he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? They need to ask for what they needed. And they need to trust in him. And then another instance is Christ asked, do you want to get well? For 38 years, the man at the sheep gate pool had not been able to go into the miraculous waters, and he felt helpless and sorry for himself. He expected someone to fix his problems, yet Jesus challenged him. Do you want to get well? Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. It was up to him to be motivated and to take responsibility for himself. This is why even in communion we do what we do. Christ presents himself to you, broken and poured out but there still is an action that we have to do. You have to get up. You have to walk towards them, and he'll help you with that, that whole faith of a mustard seed. But, like, love cannot be spread by force. 
You know, to genuinely love someone, they have, that's one of the most beautiful things about love, but one of the most hurtful, I think, struggling things we have with love is that we can't force those that we're closest to to love us back. But when they do, it's one of the greatest feelings that we can ever have, one of the greatest embraces we can ever have. And this is what Christ does with us, is that he literally pours himself out, breaks himself for us, is always at the door knocking, but we still have to open up the door. He's not just going to kick it down. Although sometimes I really wish that he would. He was just like, come on, man, like I'm struggling. But uh, another way that he had expectations in people is that, do you believe? A father sought deliverance for a son who was mute and had seizures and said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus put it back on the father, back on the person asking the question, if you can. Everything is possible for him to who believes. The father needed to believe that Jesus could cure his son. So this person's asked this question, and Christ asks it right back, if you can. Can you have that faith that I can heal? He points it back on himself that you still have to take that action. And we have no right to judge that in other people either. You know, yes, maybe somebody has done a lot of bad, and maybe they've had a horrible life or a bad record of how they do things, but it is not up to us in that moment every single time that they say, maybe I'm going to try to get better, or maybe I'm going to do this. That's between them and Christ, you know? Now, we can set up an appropriate boundary and say that, hey, maybe for me, healthily right now, I can't be with you on that, but Christ can guide you with that. It takes it off us being a personal savior and puts it on them, and it enables them to take that action that Christ has already taken towards them. And so this, instead of saying, you know, this is what Jesus can do for you, or you're saying that you're praying to Jesus and stuff like that, challenging them. Can you? Do you believe that Christ can? Or are you just saying it because it sounds right? Do you really want to be healed, or you just want someone to fix your problem so the next problem can be fixed too? You know, what do you want? You know, is it genuinely to pursue Christ? Is it genuinely for the betterment of other people? Or is it for yourself? You know, these are, these are questions that, like Christ, um, are we enabling those we encounter to self-reflect and to act and, and to depend on God? But without healthy expectations, we place on ourselves the seat of God and turn people towards ourselves instead of him, so with healthy expectations. So when we have unhealthy expectations, we, again, we go back to putting the savior complex on ourselves instead of turning people to Christ. Um, and then uh, chances are we will be hated or disliked if we actually are pushing people to Christ. Um, but if it is genuinely about the betterment of others, why should that matter? You know, like, chances are, like, if we're really pursuing Christ, there's going to be pushback. I mean, think of ourselves even personally. Like, I, I can guarantee, if you're anything like me, you go down, if you, well, if you go down to bed, unlike me, most people that try to go to sleep at night, you tend to reflect through your day, or maybe in the shower. For me, it's sleep, shower, and mowing the grass. And I hate mowing the grass, and I hate sleep. I, actually, I hate taking a shower, too. It takes too much time. So, like, the things that I dislike... Uh, I tend to always have solitude and peace with God. And that's just so ironic to me that these are some of the few moments that like I actually am resting with God, that I'm speaking with God, where everything around me is kind of turned off and so much is kind of revealed to me, not in the sense of that like this hidden mystic knowledge, but just like, it's just like, why'd you do this? Why'd you say that? You know, like, I'm glad I finally got time to talk with you. But these times that actually could be spent with God, I dislike. And so this is, this is an important thing is that if I'm, as a pastor, as someone that calls himself a Christian, am disliking and rebelling against times that can be with God, chances are when we're living that way, when we're living like Christ with people around us, that's also going to come too. If it's generally of Christ, it's, it's going to have some pushback. Now, it's awesome when it doesn't. It's really great when people are along with you. You're like, oh, this is cool. We can actually do something together, you know? There's something neat about that. But that's okay because at the end of the day, it's not a matter of how we appear. It's not a matter of how great somebody thinks that we are. 
It's a matter of are we pushing them towards Christ, and hopefully we're allowing them to see that we're not perfect, that we're not their saviors, that we set up boundaries to say, hey, I can't helpfully be with you every single day. I can't answer every single call, and that's not healthy of me to do that for you because I'm pointing you towards me and not towards Christ. Go to the last one, Micah. And so all this I try to sum up into, because um, I think of Anna Dagger and stuff like, okay, so what's your point? What, do you, what, what, what is Scripture saying about this? And so this is kind of my conclusion here. If I could conclude on what boundaries are, and I'm still learning what that looks like, but this is where I'm at. And it's that Jesus taught us how to be setting boundaries. And so these are kind of several things that I thought that if you're trying to apply in your life, how can I have appropriate boundaries? These are my, my I think there's six uh, or five. And so make sure you have personal prayer time. And so scripture for this would be when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Make sure that that prayer time isn't just happening too, just once a day or twice a day, but continually. So we're so quick to bash Islam and Muslims and stuff like that, but are we dedicated to be praying to our God five times a day? Where it's not just in prayer or in thought, but literally in our physical being that we are prostrating ourselves in a position to glorify and honor God, or is it just in thought, just when it's convenient to us? Like, take time throughout your entire day to be in prayer. Be honest and direct, and don't pressure people to try to get them to do things. So simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And this is one of the things that the guy brought up in his book that I really, really, really like, because so often we hear, like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But in the same sense, let somebody say no. Don't pressure them into doing what you want them to do. That's just as evil. That's just as wrong. Have care for their boundaries. Even if it's not where they should be, respect that and be okay with that. Set priorities. No servant can have two masters. Either we hate one and love the other, or we be devoted to one and despise the other. Please God, not people. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? And lastly, obey God. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. You know, have the humility to recognize and reflect. Take the time that when you say no, maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to be able to do to correct it. Don't just say, this is what I aspire to be, or this is what I'm going to tell people I'm going to do, and not do it at all. And so with all this, what can we get from this? And the, the kind of the vein or the way I thought of how does Creed talk, because I love, I love how he's just, here it is. And so it goes, so what can we do from all this? Well, be like Christ and set boundaries. How, may you ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. Make time for him throughout your day. Be honest with your emotions and gently and truthfully express them. Don't pressure those around you to do what you will or what you think is best for them. Be okay with saying no so your yes can stay a yes. Seek to honor and glorify God over each other. And humbly see those around you as image bearers of Christ who may know more than you do. Every moment of every day is an opportunity to walk with God. So are we setting up appropriate boundaries so we can see the path that Christ is already on? And so this is my hope for us, is that by setting these appropriate boundaries, we are enabling a path for us to walk with Christ. If not, we're going to be cluttering it. We're just going to be throwing sticks and, you know, bush and all this stuff that's, if you're kind of doing the metaphor of being in the, in the forest. 
you know, clear the path, allow those thorns and thistles to have their boundaries. Recognize that they're going to be a part of our lives. Recognize that we're going to get, you know, hit by them here and there. But do we have a path that Christ, are we allowing ourselves to enable Christ to make a path in our lives? And by setting these boundaries, we can. Do we have uh, communion today? Chris? I don't see. <laughs> well, I mean, in, I guess in, in kind of the, uh, the truth of this message or what I hope I'm conveying, um, I'll pray real quick, but I, I think it might be good to, huh? <laughs> but I think, you know, so much of our culture, we are constantly being entertained. We're constantly being, you know, stuff thrown in our face. And I talked about, like, so sometimes it's taking a shower for me or mowing the grass. Um, why don't we enable this time to be still, to be in silence, to allow God to speak? And to say that, okay, maybe this is the first part of today that I'm setting a boundary of saying, that, okay, for five minutes, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to talk over you. I'm not going to tell you my problems. I want to wait and reflect on you. I'm going to surrender my life over to you. That if you're dealing with something with your spouse, if you're dealing with something with your children or your job or life in general, that you're saying, God, I inevitably trust you with this. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I trust you with this. And that you're saying, I want to be healed. That I, I want to get up and walk. Show me where to go. But that requires us setting these boundaries so we have a path to walk with God. So I'll pray real quick, and then we're just gonna we're gonna shut up and be still. I think it's a good thing. So, all right, Heavenly Father, I thank you um, just for the the grace that you have on me, Lord. I thank you that um, your mercy that I need daily, that we all need daily, Lord. I pray that I never take that for granted or project that onto other people, that I have something that they don't, Lord, but that they see me just as vulnerable and just as in need of you as anybody else. Lord, I pray that we'd have humility, that we allow those to see us um, for the good and the bad, Lord. I pray that we would find goodness in your goodness and see that within ourselves, to recognize that we're not depraved to the point that there is no good in this, Lord, but that you value us and that you see goodness in us and that you desire to make that flourish even further by depending on you. I pray that we'd point people to you and away from ourselves, that we'd know when to carry each other's burdens and when to recognize that it's not up to us and it's not our strength that carries them to begin with. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that in this moment of solitude, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear you. Lord, we trust that your spirit dwells in us, Lord. May we be able to be awoken to hear that again. May we allow the whisper to be a scream, Lord. May we hear you clearly. May we remove the things that are in the way so we can walk with you. May we be like Abraham and not just go one way and stop, but always go back and forth with you. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.